you know, as a guest speaker, you get these amazing introductions and uh, you go, who was that guy that <laughs> he just introduced? <laughs> I would like to meet him someday. <laughs> anyway, I am Pastor Mark Dolan and I do feel like it's a small world, especially with some of the uh, connections that uh, we have discovered between uh, our church, church, our, our two church families. Um, you know, some of the people by name, Arlene Hill, the Benavitas, Tim French, Mike Bullington is a neighbor of mine. Um, and then, of course, some shared connections with uh, Gary Gubitz. And um, so um, some connections and um, things that I want to talk to you about this morning. Uh, you know, Andre just announced how you're preparing to make the comeback here together, uh, again, as the church should on June 14th, uh, barring any unforeseen thing. And uh, we have seen the last couple months how the world has changed almost completely in the matter of one week in mid-March. And uh, we have learned a new language, the language of what it means to shelter in place, uh, social distancing, what it means to flatten the curve, uh, the COVID bump, of course. <laughs> wow. And uh, how our restaurants have closed, church, churches have shut their doors. Uh, we're preaching live stream, using technology the best we can to encourage God's people. And of course, the sports world coming to a complete stop. <laughs> so the world may have come to a uh, screeching halt and the world may have deemed the church a non-essential and um, but God is still very much active and interested in uh, the world affairs he is also intimately interested in the affairs of his people who are called to be active in the world so speaking of activity uh, I was driving on my way here this morning, coming down Douglas, and you know how everyone speeds, right? They go about 90 miles an hour. Anyway, I'm in the right lane, just cruising over, and um, cars are passing me on the on the left, doing whatever they're doing, boosh, boosh, uh, going by, and uh, up above on the on in the right, in the right between me and the curb is this guy on a moped, and. Uh, he's got a flannel shirt and suspenders, and I don't know where he's coming from, you know, either on the way back to the farm or somewhere, I'm not really sure, or just kicking back because of the whole COVID thing. And uh, I do the best I can to try to avoid him as I'm driving here this morning as these cars are, are past me on this side. And so I, I pass the guy, and and uh, he looks pretty intense, like, well, that was pretty scary. and. And uh, I'm not sure that he has an attitude or not, but um, <clears throat> I look up my rear mirror and all of a sudden here he comes. He comes beside me and his eyes are lit up and I'm going, wow, this guy has an attitude. And he zings by me Bzing! and uh, I'm going, oh yeah, yeah, you want to play that game? Uh-huh. So, you know, I punch it a little bit. I'm still not catching up to the, the speeders in the left two lanes. And, and I pass the guy one more time and, and as I pass him, you know, he goes behind me and I see his eyes get bigger and and here he comes again in his little moped and zips by me on the right side I'm going man this guy has an attitude and so of course 
gets me going just a little bit. And so I pass them one more time, and I'm coming up to Sierra College and must make that stop for the, the right turn there. Uh, and all of a sudden, as I put on my brakes, here comes this guy one more time. Zing! And he, seemed, he passes me like this, then bring back and forth, and he pulls up right next to my side window, and he looks up at me, and his face is, you know, whatever it is, he's holding on to his handlebars, he says, oh. he goes, thanks a lot for stopping, buddy, my suspenders were caught on your mirror. <laughs> I say that less as a joke, but more as an analogy for uh, what I believe the church in North America is experiencing. We are like that guy in our practices of doing church and um, going 60 miles an hour but not really going anywhere. So um, we're more professional. We have better lighting, right? Better technology. We have better training. We have more comfort, better buildings, better coffee. We uh, seem to have this greater sophistication in um, what we do in the church business, and yet we've been experiencing this steep decline in the last two decades. And last year, um, n half the churches in America have not even added one new member to uh, their congregations. And it's not just the fact that Christianity isn't growing it is growing. As a matter of fact, uh, religion around the globe is growing at unprecedented rates with Christianity leading uh, the way. And in the last 25 years, Christianity has experienced the greatest evangelistic explosion in its 2,000-year history. Uh, and that's despite the fact that we have this level of, again, professionalism, uh, sophistication, um, and um, in ways of seeking out a, a means to improve our preaching, our product, the show, right? And uh, I, I believe that in order to go forward, that there may have to be some unlearning for us to do. In order to uh, relearn, again, we have to do some unlearning, to get back to the place where we truly understand some uh, the true historic biblical Christianity, um, but that's going to come by unraveling the Western Church from the clutches of this kind of rugged individualism known, you know, in Western philosophy, and uh, that has really created for us here this consumer brand of uh, attractional. Christianity in order for us to get back to this vibrant, growing faith uh, that can make inroads and impact into our culture. And I'm thinking, well, isn't a closer walk with God and a renewed heart with God, a life of joyous dependency upon God, shouldn't that be the desire of every Christian? So this morning, my title is Relearn reclaim and revive. I guess if I had a subtitle, it could be, um, you know, invisible ink or something. Anyway, um, <clears throat> there's no more important time than the present, I believe, especially in light 
of the transition that we've been going through with this COVID-19 thing, with what the world is experiencing, and with even in light of what this congregation is, is facing um, in their faith journey in the uncertainty that lies ahead. So uh, I have a message this morning that I believe will provide uh, a kind of a compass to navigate these, I don't know, stormy waters of, of change that are in front of all of us. And um, when I was asked to preach, preach, <laughs> uh, I was thinking, you know what I could do? I could pull out a drawer and pull out one of my very best five-star sermons to kind of try to impress you. But uh, instead, what I thought was that today the message I have for you is the message that I believe God would have for this congregation. So um, if you have your Bibles, like to open them with me. We're going to be looking at the first chapter of Ephesians, um, specifically verses 11 through 14. Um, I'll be reading now the ESV this morning, um, but follow along with whatever translation you have. So um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do love you, Lord God. We do uh, as a people, people called by your name. We pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we usually pray for the preacher, Lord God, that we do pray for the preacher. But I also stand in the gap, Lord God, and pray for those listening, Lord God, that our eyes and our ears may be open to the preaching of your word, to what you would say in your word, Lord God, that we'd have ears to hear and eyes to to see, Lord God, and it would move into our hearts, Lord. And so I pray, Lord God, speak to us this morning. Have your way in every single person who is listening to this message this morning. We offer it to you in the name of your son, Jesus, and for your glory and all God's people said, Amen. <laughs> uh, I hope I don't say uh, amen for you guys too much. I'm kind of an amen guy, so but don't let that distract you, okay? So we're going to start in verse 3. We're going to move down to verse 11 in just a little bit. I'm trying to um, compact it a little bit for the sake of time. But in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And that's kind of where it starts. And then as you move through those first couple verses, eight verses or so, we're going to see some of these spiritual blessings. We're going to see in verse 4 how he chose us. In verse 5, he predestined us in love. Verse 5, also he adopted us. Verse 7, how uh, he, we are been redeemed, forgiven. Uh, I mean, just, just that alone are some pretty amazing and heavy-duty blessings. Amen? But if we continue on in verse 11, let's uh, pick back up there and look at some more of these blessings that God has for us, if we can. Uh, verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, 
you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Again, some of those promises, some of those spiritual blessings that the Apostle Paul is leading with in this letter to the you know, church at Ephesus, we see this idea of blessing. Obviously, this word is, is just littered throughout here. Uh, verse 11, you were chosen. Verse 13, you were included in Christ. Verse 14, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. And verse 14, again, you are God's possession. I mean, that's pretty lavish blessings of His grace. Again, if I could say amen, I just love the Word of God and I just can't help it. It, it comes out, yes, yes they are. Uh, incredible blessings that God has for us. No doubt, we are blessed. So I want you to take that away in the thing. I'm not trying to pull the rug out from that at all. But being removed some 2,000 years and 7,000 miles, you know, from, you know, the Holy Land where Jesus walked and gave his life and sacrificed himself on the cross for our redemption, we have a very ingrained Western brand uh, in which we read not only this text, but also our Bibles. And this is some of the unlearning, I think, that we have to do. And so um, that comes from this heightened sense of, you know, this Western philosophy of, of individualism. So we do tend to think that the Bible is all about us. It is a love letter written to us that um, we're maybe the, the focal point of the Bible. As a matter of fact, um, this, better, this letter to the Ephesians is not even a letter to the individual. We do think it is. We pronounce blessings as, a, as though it is, but it is a letter to a church, and so it's to a group of people. And uh, every pronoun in this passage is not a singular pronoun you, but it is a plural pronoun. So uh, the blessings are not just to this person or that person or this person, but it's to God's church together. And we even have a hard time understanding that in this, uh, again, real rugged uh, idea of individualism that says this is what God did for me. He loves me so much. I must be the most important person in the world right here, you know, in Granite Bay, uh, California, and Citrus Heights, and Roseville. Look what God did for me. Look at the blessings that God wants to pour out on my life. So point one is that we have to relearn what Paul just explained, <laughs> right? Uh, to us is, what is God's motivation for each action uh, of God in this passage of Scripture that is described for us. And what I'm going to call that is I'm going to call that God's mission. So what is God's mission? Why is God doing that? Some might say that God's mission, the, the missio Dei, if you want, is to share, was for him to share the love that the Trinity had experienced forever and ever and ever together in this community of three with 
humanity. And so he has this primary mission to us and for us. Right? Well, what if I said no? <gasps> mm, it's kind of shocking, right? <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. Listen. Do not take me out of context on this. So we are the rich benefactors of God's blessings and his grace. We see them in this passage. Amen? Hallelujah. But what we do is we tend to overlook uh, what Paul is saying that is right in front of us as though it is written in invisible ink because of this Western mindset and uh, making the Bible human-centric as though it's all about us. Now, just stick with me, okay? I, this is, requires some unpacking if I can do it. Now, what if I told you, and this is foreign to a lot of Christians, especially in the West, not as much foreign to uh, Christianity in the parts of the world where they're, it's illegal and they're being persecuted for their faith, where Christianity is growing, uh, outpacing anything that we've ever seen here uh, around the globe. But this is kind of a shocking revelation to most Christians. That What if I was to tell you that God, I'm going to use the word actually, I hate that, but actually, would God actually has a mission for himself. <laughs> right? Now look back with me. You ready? Look back with me to verse 3. So in verse 3, this is how Paul begins the whole letter to the Ephesians. And it's breathed by the Holy Spirit. And it's talk about blessings. But who is blessed first in this passage? Is it us? No. Blessed be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul begins with saying that may God be blessed. And then he gets into we who have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Okay? No. So God first. That's number one. And then what we didn't read is in verse 6, it says we've been adopted. Are you ready? Some of you are going to go, hey, what? I haven't really paid attention to that much. We don't. We, we glance over it, we read over it, we get short-term amnesia, we read the passage, we forget that it's there. Amen? We've been adopted through Christ Jesus according to the purpose of His will. Ready for this? To the praise of His glorious name. So what Paul is saying is that God has a will, He has purposes of His will, and the purposes of, of His will help support His primary mission for himself, and that is for the praise, right, of his glorious grace. In verses 11 and 12, we may have missed that again, you have been chosen, you have been predestined. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Good news. Blessings. Absolutely. Spiritual blessings to us and for us. So, we do get to receive those, and we do get to chew on those promises, and we do get to say, Lord, we thank you that you are a good God and that you love us and you have all of this for us. Amen? But look what he's going to say here. He says, we've been predestined according to the plan of him. Oh, here's the plan of God. Who works, all, who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will. 
You see that? So here's the purpose of God's will, again, right here for us. In verse 12, here it comes. In order that we might be for the praise of His glory. Huh. And how about verse 14? You are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Guaranteeing our inheritance, there it is, that's our blessing, until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Why? This is how this section ends. To the praise of His glory. And so, I'm thinking, how do we miss that? How do we, because we make it, we, it's the, the product of our fallen flesh is we'll always put ourselves at the center of the universe. And so we miss even in the way that we read Scripture that makes it, again, very human-centric. What does it say about me? Amen? And so uh, one missiologist says, says, we're used to hearing that the Bible is a love story. But we tend to see it only from one side of love, how God loves people. But what if the Bible is more about God than it is about us. I mean, most of us would agree or believe that um, this is the revelation of the holy. This is God communicating to humankind, saying, here I am, in the revelation of all that God is. Amen? And so, John Piper will say this. He says, probably no text in the Bible reveals the passion of God for his own glory more clearly and bluntly as Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11, where God says this. He says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Hmm. Piper says it. For many people, these words are like six hammer blows. You know, to a man-centered way of looking at uh, the world. And again, those six hammer blows are the things I identified with the counting of my finger, right? It's for his namesake, for uh, the sake of his praise, and for the sake of his glory. These hammer blows, the text hammers home the centrality of God. This is kind of weird. It's hard for us to understand because if we do this, it makes us selfish people. But God, as the Almighty and as Creator, uh, Piper says, will hammer home to us the centrality of God in His own affections. Isn't that what God enjoyed forever and ever and ever in that community of three in the Trinity that existed forever? The most passionate heart for the glorification of God. Now listen, this is, again, I, I, I don't like quoting me when it's uncomfortable, so I'm going to quote other people. <laughs> this is still Piper. He says, the most passionate heart for the glorification of God is God's heart. So God's ultimate goal is to uphold and display the glory of his name. Hmm. Well, there is pay dirt for us. And there is 
significant for us. If we can unlearn, then we can reclaim. And through reclaiming what is authentic historical Christianity, there's the potential for the church in the West to have this kind of, I don't know, this revival of our own souls, a renewal of our lives, our greater dependency upon God in our walk, everyday walk. And so um, we, in Exodus uh, 34, 14, God can say this, we can't. He says, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous. What? is a jealous God. And I have, I have to find myself telling students, you know, in Bible college, how God, unlike humans, can be jealous for His holy name because He's concerned about His glory. He loves you. We can be certain of that. But as we read, God chose you, saved you for His namesake, ultimately as His primary mission, to the praise of his glory. We just read that. Paul wrote that under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and yet we miss it and we jump right into what God would have for us in this passage of Scripture as our spiritual blessings. Look what God has done for us. Amen? And uh, if we continue on a little bit, that we see that in Isaiah 43 that we are created, created for His glory. In Isaiah 49 that God called Israel for his glory. We see in Psalm 106 that God rescued Israel from Egypt for his glory. We see that God defeated Pharaoh, right, at the Red Sea to show his glory in Exodus 14. In Psalm 25 and Isaiah uh, 43, the psalmist writes and Isaiah writes that we're even forgiven for the sake of God's glory. <laughs> well, I, I, now I can go on and on and on. And so I'm hoping you're getting that. But I think you're, you're getting the point. Again, it took me uh, about three weeks to do a really thorough job on this with my church because there's so much unlearning and unpacking that we have to do to get to the place where we understand or relearn, right? That... We are the secondary mission of God in the benevolent outpouring of His grace to us through redemption that brings Him glory. So we benefit. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Amen? But God does this primarily for His namesake and for the praise of His glory. So, point two, reclaim. Again, we're kind of bringing it down a little bit here. As we begin to reclaim authentic, historic Christian faith, probably, I've, I've heard scholars say that in the United States, we are so far removed from that historic Christian faith that it is almost too difficult for us to even wrap our minds around what the gospel really is, but of course we know the gospel is powerful unto salvation, and so uh, his word does not come back void, and men separates bone and marrow, so we know it's true, and we know it is powerful, amen? So we trust that, but for this reclamation, this restoration, would require that our hearts then 
be in line with the thing that God desires most. He does have a, a or, right? In other words, we're, we're at the center point of the affections of his heart that plays into as a secondary mission to his primary mission for himself. And so does God have the affections of our heart? Amen? And then what comes behind that would be what are the means of grace that God has given us as a provision provided to us that we may draw close in a way that our living and our behavior and our life will somehow bring God glory in everything that we do. Do we even have a mindset for it? You know, I have some practices in the morning where I get up and I lay in bed and I, Lord, my hands across my chest, I'm dead. May I be dead to sin the day, Lord God. And I put my feet over and I stand up and I say, my feet are on solid rock and Christ, you are the rock. And today, God, may you be glorified in all that you do in my life. So today I need to be utterly dependent upon you so that your name is exalted and your glory extended, Heavenly Father. And so use me, be in me. And so I try to put myself at the center point of the means of God's grace to accomplish what God wants to accomplish for himself in the world as it was God's sovereign decision to invite us into this plan that he has for redemption that brings him glory. Hallelujah. And I think, or do we just desire to come to the building each week Get fed by some pretty cool preaching, right? Read through the Word of God. Watch some maybe worship experiences taking place, right? That's, whoo, on a stage that's super fantastic because it pleases us. It ministers to us, which is true. They're not mutually exclusive. That's the trouble we get into in Christianity. Or will we decide to press into full dependency upon God in our relationship with Him through the means of grace so that our lives outside the four walls of the building will bring Him glory, amen, which is His mission for Himself. God, help me today, Lord, bring you the glory you desire for yourself. God, where I go, where I walk who I talk to in my conversation, in my life. Lord, by the work of your Spirit that dwells in me, Heavenly Father, we saw, right? Sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. God, that you may shape me and mold me in the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, so as he brought you glory as he came and walked among us, Lord God, that we too, by the same power at work in us, Father, as you sent me, I now send them. In what way did Jesus come? In what way is the question to that sending verse in John's gospel. And that is by the power of the Spirit. That was at work in Jesus Christ. It's at work in us. And so I think that if we understand that and we just say, yes, Lord, this is becoming 
heart of your son who is now being, right? Shine your light in front of men so that men may see your good deeds and do what? Glorify our Father in heaven? Yeah. And I, I, I promise, I promise, and I tell my students and I tell my church that if I was able to do more of what I call my glory rant, then um, you would read your Bibles in different ways, right? Psalm 23 says he's going to lead, guide, and do all this stuff, and he's going to lead you in paths of righteousness. Why? Why? For his name's sake. We pray the Lord's Prayer, and we, as we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Oh, how did I miss that before? We see it in Psalm 24. We see it through all, all of Scripture. It's embedded in Scripture, but for the West, almost as if it's written in invisible ink. <laughs> and so... I'm hoping, I'm hoping that during this time, maybe when we're shut in, we're social distancing, that it has given us some quality time to spend in prayer, to come before the throne of grace, to be transformed more and more by the work of God, the grace he's given us, as we come to the throne of grace, into the image of his son, that can do a new work in us that, will revive our own souls. That's where it's going to start. If there's any hope, it's got to be the work of God through us. And so that's just, again, I'm not going to argue with God. I'm not going to argue with Scripture. It's the, the means that God has planned and has carried out through all of history. Uh, his choice of using people for his uh, plans and purposes. And so this re re revival needs to take place here in my heart as I understand what God desires for himself and when I begin to say, God, have your way in me, that when this revival takes place in me, then revival can take place out there in the world. Amen? Bringing growth and the kind of living that brings him glory. Or... Are we just going to spin our wheels like that guy in the moped with our suspenders caught on the mirror, right? Going fast, but getting nowhere. I'm going to end with the words of Paul here this morning from 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And then we'll, we'll close in a word of prayer. Paul writes this in Corinthians Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves over fully to the work of the Lord. Huh. Huh. Because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And why would we know that? Because it's no longer our labor but God's work in us and through us. Amen? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray for, again, what you're doing in the world, Lord God. What you're doing as people take a step back, Lord, in the social distancing and um, kind of sheltering in place and having maybe time to contemplate or think about uh, the supernatural and spiritual reality, Lord. And so, Father, right now I'd pray for East Park 
Parkway Church, Lord God, and I would pray just, again, your hand of blessing on them, Lord God, and I, I would pray that there'd be hearts changed, Lord God, during this time. People would fall deeper in love with you, Lord God. That they would embrace the means of grace more and more, Heavenly Father. And as Jesus taught his disciples to say, Lord, just in the first verse there, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy, be your name, Lord God. And so God, today, in your love for us and our love for you, I pray that it would be our desire to exalt your name, to bring you glory. Father, we cannot do this by ourselves. We are not equipped naturally to do it. And we need all that you have, uh, Lord, as a gift to us in those spiritual blessings to bring that about. And Lord, produce that work in us, Heavenly Father. Work in us. God, I pray that as we go from here, it's not just praise and prayers of people in the chairs who pray just for their pastors, Lord God, or the elders or the, the board or the people and staff, Lord God. Um, Father, but me, for us, for us as individuals, God, called together. Lord, I pray for this group. Have your hand on them, Lord God. That together, together, Lord God, they would bring you glory. Jesus, as we participate in the means of grace, the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, to bring you glory right where you put us, right in the jobs where we work, right in our neighborhoods, Lord God, in the mission field that you placed right next door to us, Lord God. <laughs> for the praise of your glory and for the sake of your name. Pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people, again, in agreement, say, amen.